like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and last week we headed to 2003 to kind of kick off our year of anniversaries the big big milestone anniversaries and 2003 obviously the 20th anniversary of the riot act tour and something different today we're gonna hop ahead five years and we're gonna do the 25th anniversary of the yield tour in 1998 which we're very excited about and hey it's kind of relevant in the news right now so we'll get into a little bit of that but we are covering and since we love to kind of hit the the dates when they come along we're gonna cover the maui hawaii show from the 21st of february so this was really before they fully went out on tour right after this they would go and hit up Australia and then that would be their run before Jack would leave the band and and they would end up doing North America obviously in the summer. So this is an interesting one. It's got some really really early performances. It's got a really good vibe on stage. I'm excited to get to talk about it. So why don't we do that? Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Howdy. Uh 25 years ago yesterday. I mean, you're getting yield and Jack, like, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So we've done a few of these like early album shows and this is, this is another one. So we're going to have some similar talking points, some really early versions of yield stuff here. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, I think the third week in a row, we got the really early into the binaural era. And then last week we got really early into the riot act era, obviously. And, and I don't think that any of this was purposeful, but it is really interesting to seeing how this theme kind of unfolds. And a lot of the similar things that we talked about in the last two episodes, I think are going to kind of come back tonight. I think so. So what about this show? I mean, it's interesting because they never really get to play Hawaii. They played there in 1992 a little bit. And like those shows, I think most known for being played in a gym. And I think they did like the first real kind of solid hard to imagine that there was 
And then this was the next appearance that they make, and then they wouldn't return until 2006, which is weird because Boom's in the band, and that's the only time that they would ever play with Boom in the band. So this is pre-him and pre-all that. So 5,000 people at this venue, too? It feels interesting. What's this vibe like to you? It's almost seems more like what they describe that Katowice show is like a a kegger works like half the place was empty. This isn't quite to that level, I don't think, but it seems more like relaxed and Ed seems like he's in his element here. And we know that he's going to he's going to talk about it in the encore break, which we'll get to. But he feels like this is his home away from home, his sanctuary and He's like with his friends, you know, there's a really good review of this on Five Horizons as well. Our former guest, Karen Rose from Five Horizons was there at the show and wrote a full review of it, which is great. But it feels like they love playing small venues at this point because they didn't get a chance to do that very often. They weren't going to get a chance to do that the rest of this year. They went immediately to, you know, your 18,000, 20,000 seat arenas. So, yeah, it just feels like their warm-up gig kind of feel to it, relaxed. Let's just go play some songs and see what happens. Let's tell a little story about what the expectations were for the show and what was kind of rumored going on beforehand, because there were some big rumors that had spread that Neil Young was going to be there, which he was. That was true. That was accurate. But everybody, because Neil Young is there, like guys can't just go and enjoy themselves and go see a rock and roll show. They have to go and perform. So everybody thought like, okay, when is Neil going to come on stage? What is he going to play on and on and on? And he never did. And it didn't seem like a disappointing thing, but it also seemed like it was just kind of, at least for Karen's sake, like on her mind the whole entire time. Yep. And I heard, I think Chris Cornell is there too. So, you know, those those rumors going as well. Like, of course, I mean, everyone immediately goes to the Temple of the Dog, like, oh, here we go. But yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they want to go see Pearl Jam in Hawaii? Like, it makes sense in hindsight, but at the time, you're just like, well, well, of course they're going to play. Of course. Like, why wouldn't they? But yeah, I mean, it's probably best that they didn't. Like, this is this doesn't seem like that kind of show where it would need something like that. This didn't seem like one of those, like, big spectacle shows where you're going to bring out Neil Young and he's going to take over the encore and do some songs. And, like, this didn't, it just didn't have that feel to it. No, yeah, you're right. It was very much a 5,000 capacity dive bar kind of show. But in that aspect, that kind of what makes this show so appealing and what the heart of the show is really kind of stands with everything that's going on on stage and how they're presenting it to the crowd, which we'll get into points when it comes time to get into points on those. But you got to think about how they were doing stuff in 1996 it felt like this was a transition into something totally different. I just want to say right now that we were supposed to have a guest come on. His name is Ryan Bachner, and unfortunately he was unable to make it, had some health issues, so we're just sending our thoughts out to him right now. Would have obviously loved to get the take on being there, and this is an interesting one that like you don't necessarily think of that you would know a lot of people that would be at this. So hopefully at one point we'll be able to connect and, and maybe get some stories for the future, but unfortunately we don't have that today. Hmm, what do we do first? Why don't we talk about give way for like a second or two, and then we can get into question of the week. What do you think? All right. 
So everybody kind of knows what's going on right now. This is the record store day release that is coming out on April 22nd. And I guess to go over the history a little bit, Giveaway was supposed to be released when people bought the single video theory. I almost said DVD. It must have been videotape. It must have been a VHS. Nope. It was supposed to be given away for free to the first customers purchasing the video from Best Buy. The day before, the CDs were recalled and destroyed by Sony. The promotion was not properly cleared with the label and or the band. Best Buy was forced to give away any CD of choice for free with the purchase of Single Video Theory. Of the 50,000 that they pressed, most copies were destroyed, and it's rumored that Best Buy was threatened with a $10,000 fine for each unreturned disc. Uh, Despite that, a number of copies have surfaced over the years, but a good guess would be about 150 to 200. That's from from the Discogs release page on it. So, yeah, they're kind of making good on something from 25 years ago. Right, and this is clearly the Melbourne show that happens in 1998, the the famous one that was broadcast all, all over the world. And yeah, I, I think there are some people that are kind of split on this. I think you have the, the side of the collector that is just like, new Pearl Jam, I'm in. And I kind of pretty much side with that, even though I sympathize with the other side and I understand it. And there are a lot of people that are upset that it's only 17 tracks. And the show, I believe, was 25 songs long. And that's what Giveaway was originally supposed to be. It was supposed to be fit on one CD, and that was it. And now that they had the opportunity to kind of redo the thing, they decided not to add in the rest of the set list. Yeah, it reminds me of Orpheum Theater. Yeah, don't again. don't get confused. This is not a all release. Like they're just recreating the promo giveaway release from the single video theory thing. That's all it is. It was never going to be the whole show. You know, you were never going to get those other songs. Like they're just making good on this thing from before. It's just uh, you, you don't want to say like a nostalgia cash grab, but it's not too far away from that. If you're holding out for the vault release, you're going to have to keep holding out. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to come out as a vault release, unfortunately. It would have been better to do the vault release instead of do giveaway, but it's something that's part of their history, and they probably thought that let's pay homage to it to everybody that didn't get the opportunity to have it. And I'm sure that's not the case. Like You can't really desaturate the market of all these like minimal copies of giveaway that ended up in people's hands. I don't I think yeah. that's a thing, but I sympathize with everybody that wants that full show. Cause that's a damn good show. And it would be nice to have every single track and they left off porch. They left off indifference. There's a little bit of crazy Mary that they left off. That was pretty important from that show. So there's some good stuff. That's not there. Wishlet's not there for a 1998 show. So yeah, like I, I sympathize. I understand that people are upset and they don't, they're comfortable with just saying I have the bootleg already. I don't need this, which good for you. You're saving probably like 40 bucks right there, but they could have, potentially done this in a way to give the full show it's due no they they were never going to because it was already that done was, guarantee the art that was, was done on the table yep the artwork was done the yep. this is a what can we get out that we don't have to do anything new for oh i get that it saves money and i get that everybody's trying to save money right now the economy is shit but 
it's disappointing because I think everybody just kind of wants to get something new at some point. But you know what? We got something. It's not every single year that they put something out for a record store day. It's been the last couple of years, I guess. But we had one year where it was the Alive single and a, and a cassette tape. That really wasn't much. I didn't even get that one. But we have something. And I'll go get it. And maybe when it comes time to to break and, and talk about stuff in, in the intermission, then I'll mention where I might end up getting it. So just want to bring up, we're going to do the question of the day, but your boy, the, the, the guy on the mic right now, made a big mistake and didn't pose it to the people until about mm, 10 minutes before we started recording. So we have a couple of answers. The question of the week was... Because we are covering Maui 1998, kind of a destination vacation spot, all-time place that you'd want to see the band and, and get kind of the great atmosphere. So I asked if Pearl Jam were to ever do a residency at a vacation or destination spot, what would the dream location be? And there's some very interesting answers here because I think a lot of people's definition of vacation spot kind of varies a little bit. I was assuming that, you know, my mention of Maui would end up getting a lot of like, ah, you know, they can go down to Jamaica, they can go out down to the Caribbean, they can go to Cancun, they can go to Greece, like these kind of like lavish destination spots. But we didn't quite get all of those answers. So let's start with a couple here from from Facebook. Good friend Deb said uh, she would love to see Verona, Italy. Or Red Rocks. Red Rocks was the most popular answer out of all this, just by the way. But Italy is obviously a great destination spot, so that makes sense. Mike Radke says The Gorge, another one. That's that's more like Red Rocks. You're going for the concert experience. You're not going for a vacation experience, so that's fine. Aaron Redmond said New Zealand. Steve Bennett is from Buffalo, New York, and said Niagara Falls, New York. So he doesn't really have to go far. That's not really a, a vacation, but I get where he's going. Are they going to play on the bridge? Like, isn't there By the, on the boat? Yeah. 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 Oh, that, that'd be very risky to do that. That'd be probably potentially being worse than any sort of rainfall. Yeah. They that put, they've been put, through. put Mike in a barrel and have him do the even flow solo before, before he goes over. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of tough to quantify, but hey, look, they they got tons of amusement parks and stuff over there. Like, there's no lack of entertainment mm-hmm. over in Niagara Falls. So, I've got Brian Vincent who who seconded the Red Rocks. Absolutely, that would be that'd be fantastic. Ryan Frank kept with the the Hawaii theme and said Kauai, picking a different island there, different place in Hawaii. And uh, Edgar Anthony said the Wisconsin Dells. Um, interesting. And I think my answer and like, I'm, you know, vacation spot, you know, questionable, but I've never been there. Marissa Lynn said seeing them in Seattle was definitely a bucket list show destination. I would love to go see Pearl Jam in Seattle. That's definitely on my list. So I'm going to jump on with uh, with Marissa there. Yeah, again, vacation destination, I guess, is different for everybody. Like, I'm thinking like beaches, I'm thinking resorts and things like that. But like, I just want to go and like sit on the beach and watch Pearl Jam. That's my take out of this. But everybody's got something different. I mean, kind of like I I, I, it, it wasn't really 
in the way that I'm envisioning a vacation for that. I was just mm. kind of thinking like, you know, just lounging in a lounge chair and they're kind of, mm. you know, a couple of yards away. But OK, I guess I did do that. All right. Some more answers that we can go over here. Jen Sabadius Milne says Mildura, Australia. Apparently, Kings of Leon did it last year and it was unbelievable. Seth Dahl said Epcot. That's an interesting answer. So okay. now Epcot has that little seated area where bands will come in and play all the time and they will do residencies for like a week or two and they'll play like two to three times a day so everybody can kind of catch them at all times of the day. And usually it's like nobody, you know, it's like your your father's band's kind of deal or even at this point your father's father's band's. The last time I was at Epcot, I believe America was performing. So that <laughs> gives you the sense right there of, of who yeah. goes. Danny Tatlow says he can't beat Maui. I pretty much agree with that. Matt BN is another one for Australia in Perth. Derek Laub has a really interesting one because this is actually pretty relevant. U2 is starting a residency at the Sphere in Las Vegas. And I remember seeing the construction of that last year when when going for what was supposed to be the show. And apparently, like, the acoustics are supposed to be incredible in that place. And it looks really, it's, it's literally a big black sphere. Mm. And you'd have to think, because it's it's round, that sound can reverberate off those walls. I'd be very surprised if they don't play that in the future. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be interesting. I'll do two more here. Brooke says Kansas City because she is from Kansas City. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs for just winning the Super Bowl. I can't see a residency in Kansas City, everybody, but that's okay. And Margaret Steele says, I'd love it to be in Hawaii, but I'd have to choose Seattle. Home shows are fabulous. Most of the band wouldn't have to travel, and I live in Vancouver, so it's an easy drive for me to get to most of them. So, again, answers vary from all over the place here. So, great job, everybody. Nice reading everybody's answers, and I swear it'll be way more put together next week where we won't have to fly by the seam of our pants with that. But for flying by the seam of our pants, I think we did pretty well. So, all right, we have a show to get into. So let's do just that. In this little place... Uh, 5,000 people you kind of see in the one video that we have of Brain of Jay. I just wanted to make mention of this before it really starts. They're playing under this like little tent thing, and it's really reminding me of what their stage situation looked like when they played in Oakland opening up for the Stones. Probably, what was that, like three months before this? So that has the same exact vibe. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It feels like, yeah, just a small place. I mean, you mentioned they had played the gymnasium there in 92. It feels not much of more of a step up from that. Very kind of informal and kind of like relaxed. Yeah, going back to that conversation we had. It's so small on that stage that nobody's even really able to move around. Like that's how kind of compact everything is. So, and again, we only see one song, but... You'd have to assume that on Brain of J would be a song that people would want to move. So, all right, let's dig into the show, which opens with Do the Evolution. Ed starts by saying something Hawaiian as the song starts. And 
I'm hoping your Hawaiian is better than mine because mine's non-existent. So I heard it as Uanukanuka Upa Waka. I can't tell if he's like fucking around or bullshitting what? here or like no, I don't I don't speak Hawaiian. I it would seem unlike him to just make fun of the Hawaiian language, like to just say some gibberish, but I don't know. He says that same phrase about three or four times in this show, though. Hmm. So it makes me think either he practiced something phony or that's for real. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And there is a phrase that's going to come up later that I actually searched one of the words. I figured out how it was spelled, and it does actually mean something in Hawaiian. So when we get to it, we'll get to it. But right off the start, the band is just ready to fly from the jump. Interesting to open up with Evolution, too, because I've always seen this to be like the band's surf rock song. And that's not including Grammy because it's not one of their songs. But, you know, for obvious reasons, everybody thinks of Grammy. But it, it really has the surf rock attitude, the surf rock vibe to it. And I think that's a perfect way to begin a show in Hawaii. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, it's the new song. You want to kick off with something energetic. I mean, this is only the eighth performance of it. But the thing that stuck out to me, well, two things. First of all, it's so slow compared to, to what we're used to hearing now. And to go back and read like, oh yeah, it was it was blazing and like this new song that's but they immediately, like a couple of years later, were playing it nearly twice as fast and they've done that ever since. But it lets it does give it that kind of space and like of course hearing Jack on it is is really cool. But the other thing was like just how unhinged and crazy Ed sounds on it. Like he's really just going full throttle on this and like crazy kind of in a good way like sounding almost like deranged almost like going back to the early 90s days uh yeah i thought it was good like captured a lot of energy early on a lot of these very early versions of yield songs are kind of like wah-wah heavy and have that pedal effect and that's really coming off of stone's guitar here and do the evolution especially in a solo so why don't we get to our gear guru javi here who's going to talk about the pedals and talk about the time period and how they were utilized Hello, Randy. Hello, John. Hello, everyone on the podcast. So we are covering Maui 1998 this week. Good old school show. The first one, Do the Evolution. The coolest thing about this version, I think, is that a stone is using that wah-wah pedal in the middle position to recreate that tone that you get in the original version. It cannot get as close to the original recording. Another cool thing that I think that we should mention about this time of Pearl Jam Live is how much air they have on their sound. Basically driven by the kind of amps that they were using during that time. They were using a lot of Marshalls. They were using a lot of matchless sets. Those amps are very known for being punchy, very mid-focus, and extremely dynamic. So you can hear a lot of that mid-range focus sound more bright combined with the overdrives and the less balls and the strats that they were using around that time. Pretty cool fact that I think that we should mention. 
And thank you, Javi. And he will be back later in the show to talk a little bit about a song called Alive. You got Animal Hell Hell, Brain of Jay, Dissident. I thought everything really kind of packed a punch here. Animal especially. Like, when you're thinking about 1996, like, they would play these songs with kind of that original groove in a way still. But what's different about some of the songs that they play on this night is it feels more like they're attempting the kind of all out way that they play the songs now where it's just okay let's focus on the pacing let's focus on the speed let's focus on the acceleration and you really start to get to feel that with like animal a little bit with hail hail a little bit with brain of jay as well where it's just a different drive when you're comparing the two type of performances uh, yeah, this whole early section I thought was just very stone heavy. I think all of Animal Hail Hail and Brain J, I thought Stone was absolutely the standout. There's the the last chorus before the solo on Animal is just stellar and like Stone is just dominating that thing and he's doing these little eighth notes at the end which I haven't heard him do in a long time if ever. And it again gives it that kind of tension and kind of like movement to it that just adds so much to it. It sounded great. Hail Hail, I thought again, I talked about this, I think maybe last week or the week before, that I thought it just kind of floated near the end. This one, I think the bridge in Hail Hail is very, very light. Stone does a really good job of just carrying that thing just through the air almost. And then when it crashes back down into the course again, it's like it hits even harder. But yeah, I think Brain of Jay is the highlight with Stone too. Like his solo in Brain of Jay is just something else on this version. Again, for only the eighth performance, he's already in really good form on it. Yeah, and again, this is the one that we had video for, so we kind of have the full presence for this. And, you know, a couple of stray takes, like Mike playing power chords and actually watching him. It was a weird angle, this video, because it's from the pit, but it's looking upward. It's not eye level with the band at all, so you really kind of get a sense of what and how they're playing. Like, you kind of see their fingers a lot better. And it's weird to see Mike play power chords, but on the other hand, like watching Stone solo on that was just a treat. And you can tell, like, he gets that eyes, he gets kind of like that, that grin on, like, okay, this is what I was kind of meant to do. And it really felt like Stone, you know, we all know he's super talented. We all know that he can pretty much do everything, but like this tour felt like Stone's way of breaking out and saying, checkmate to Mike. Yeah, excellent version of Brain of Jay here. And I just want to bring this up. There's a lot. Of like goofy stone faces and, and things like that, but there's a, a shot that seems to be spliced in, and I don't know if this is a shot that happened once and they continued to splice it in throughout because it looks like it, or Ed just continues to do the same thing. But there's this shot of Ed where he's kind of like got this like cutesy smile on he's kind of brushing his hair around like he's kind of like waving it in the wind and it's like maybe one of his most handsome moments there but they add that into the video either they caught him doing that about three or four times or they made sure to edit in that much because it happens a lot huh yeah no i didn't notice that but i'm sure he, he's probably just hanging out listening to the song but stone i thought too there's a he has a rhythm part before the solo where he's kind of going up the fretboard it's getting higher and higher and higher and it is oh it is so good it's like note perfect I've, again something that i've never heard him do before 
he's kind of like going up the fretboard as the song is escalating. It adds a lot of like soaring atmosphere to it. But we're going to talk about Stone doing everything a little bit later too. And again, more wah-wah pedal in there. Like that's the era. That's what we're getting out of that sound. And Dissident's going to finish off that section too. It's actually interesting. I kind of forgot about this until reading it in the notes here, but there's a part at the end where Ed keeps repeating, couldn't hold on, couldn't hold, and he keeps repeating it over and over again. And that feels pretty new for Dissident. And it kind of, it's a little improv It's a little kind of off the cuff, but it's definitely the whole thing and the way that he finishes this off is a different take that I don't think we've seen before. adds you know something to the song i wish you would do that more often yeah go off on it there's going to be another song later where he kind of does that too so hang on to that thought ed is addressing the crowd for the first time and he just says sup and repeats the uwa 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 maka naka wowie kind of line and yeah he's going to do that a couple more times i won't even bother on the next two so that's that he says he recognizes all of three people and points to that fucker right there who was bugging me in the ocean all day, but all is forgiven. This is going into the second all-time performance of Faithful. I was really into this performance here. I thought, very impressed by Faithful and just the way that it's a song that's supposed to soar and it's, it's meant to kind of build up and kind of meant to be a little bit pensive and then rise and kind of escalate and have that bridge really take you home. But this had like total drive throughout the whole thing. And then like there's a little part, the bridge sounds excellent in this, but also the way that you kind of got the two sides of this where the ending is completely different than the way that the, the song's drive is the ending doesn't have like anything behind Ed at all. It's interesting because it, it took you on that ride and then the ride sort of just stopped and just let Ed's sort of delicate vocals take over the rest of the way. This is an excellent version of Faithful. the second performance they had just debuted at the night before the bridge is definitely the part that sticks out ed sounds so like it sounds like he's almost going down to like a whisper the band goes like way way down brings the volume way way down which adds a lot i think 
getting a kind of a new song like changes the kind of vibe of like you already got an evolution you got in brand J but then you go back to dissonant and like I didn't even mention like more than half the songs at the show are from yield and no code together so that's great but again like after dissident it's kind of like oh, okay like are we are we gonna get back into like early 90s vibe but, but like it's it's cool that they immediately went right back to the yield songs like they were sprinkling them in pretty regularly at the beginning of this set here yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i'm just recognizing now that we go yield no code yield no code here yeah. Yeah. and we're getting faithful in my tree wishlist off he goes and it kind of feels like you're doing two songs that are in the soaring aspect, faithful and in my tree, even though this faithful really felt like more of like a, a real punch kind of rock and roll song. And then Wishlist and Off He Goes are kind of the more contemplative songs back to back there, which is an interesting choice of how they put everything together. And I really like it. But in my tree, I, I mean, what can you say? Like we're going back to Jack here. And even the way that Ed intros the whole thing says, this is about a guy who says, fuck the streets, fuck the newspapers, fuck my telephone bills, fuck everything. I'm not going to live in a tree, but it's called in my tree. And it could have been called move to the big Island. Right. Following that, you get the big tribal blast right from the start. And that's like, that's sending you through the jungle essentially. And the way that it's just Ed and Jack, I love when this happens. very good version that just keeps escalating accelerating and jack probably the highlight of all of it oh yeah this is my highlight from this show getting to hear 1998 jack on in my tree like god damn that intro is so good but even then i think during the solo after it kind of crashes and you get that really soaring part i think his he's doing some cymbal work that's just legendary on this thing like it sounds incredible like the song like it just sounds so like muscular is a weird you know word to use to describe music but that's the kind of way like it sounds like muscly and like thick and that's jack just doing everything he's doing on there like it's one of the best verses i've heard in a long time i i totally follow what you're saying there and i think that it kind of goes back to what i was saying before that the groove style of what they did in the early 90s is kind of a little bit diminished more so in this show and that muscle that punch is more of what they would do on versions of songs like this in 2003 2006 and onward it's not something they did all the time in 1998 they would add in the the pearl jam groove of course but this really felt like it was kind of foreshadowing the future in a way it was very very good wishlist and off he goes now wishlist if we dig back into the themes of the last two episodes, I think this was the one that I really wanted to be like, okay, wish list, 
you're still kind of developing the song live here. It's in the earliest stages, even though out of the Yield songs, it's probably been played one of the most. It's been played six times to date. Compared to what you just went through, it, it does feel a little bit like, almost like a breather. And some of the things that you know of Wishlist to be, and, and some of the moments, like, you know, the 15 million hands upraised and all that, it just kind of feels a little bit more basic, a little bit more tentative. The verses don't feel bouncy like they usually do. And then even at the end, they don't do a reprise thing or anything like that, which would come very shortly later, but that's the way that they kind of figured out how to implement this song was it needs a finish because it doesn't have a, a true finish on the record. Yeah, definitely a straightforward version. And like, they do the same thing that they would do. Like they let it kind of fade out and then you're like, okay, well here it comes. Like you're going to get the snare hit and they're going to jump back into it, but they never do. It just kind of goes right into off he goes. Yeah. It just felt like they just didn't really know what to do with that ending yet. Like I said, like I'm sure that was one thing that they worked on and like, let's figure out something. And then you see it, you know, pop up very soon. Like you said, that they would kind of kick in and, and do something different with it. And then you would start to see some tags on it as the years went by. Off He Goes following up, I thought that this was a very good version of Off He Goes too. Very just rock and roll, upbeat version. Again, I think it's Jack creating all the momentum on this, allowing that to happen. And it also feels like the way that it kind of dissects itself, Ed gets to tell the story and make those moments a little bit more stark that kind of highlight when they're able to kind of bring in that upbeat punch to it. It was it was very good. I really liked how this accelerated too. Yeah, a very electric version of Off He Goes. Like this is not the seated kind of acoustic guitar version that we have come to know. Afterwards, Ed actually kind of quips, he's like, hey, that one was written on your islands and the islands are a great place to make music, right? So we're gonna make some more. I wonder how many songs he wrote in Hawaii. It feels like an inspirational place, you know? Yeah, tons, I'm sure. I mean, there's one obvious one, and everything I'm sure that he wrote on ukulele probably had to come out of there too, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's going to take us into Corduroy. And right away, I believe it was a couple weeks ago when we did a 1996 show, I had brought up about Jack and the way that Jack was playing on Corduroy and the way that I love it. It kind of just feels like a very laborious version, just chopping down a tree, like very, very heavy on the verses. And he changed his overall approach with it. And what usually it's very snare Tom heavy, but this was adding in the symbol a little bit more. It didn't have that same kind of bite presence to it not to say that it was bad at all but it didn't match what was going on in 1996 and i wonder if that was just the thing in the off season that he's just like all right let's try something new with this and i think that jack out of everybody because he had such little time with this band that he did that with a lot of songs you know, we've saw it with State of Love and Trust, where he's done some weird things on State of Love and Trust and once and some of those songs that really didn't catch on during his era. But he probably was just trying to see what else stuck with it. Yeah, I think it would have been really interesting to see, you know, how the songs would have kept evolving with him as the drummer. That would have been something. But the thing that stuck out to me on Corduroy is Ed kind of doing differently the, the everything has changed part. 
doing that differently, singing it a different way, adding on to it, leading into that jam. I thought Ed was the highlight on this one. And then to get to that solo part and they kind of do the jam thing. And it's, again, very, very good. Excellent version here. Well, that goes back to Dissident. That's the same kind of thing. Like, it just kind of has a little bit more freedom to work around. He's not, you know, within his lines. And I guess it was just sort of one of those things, the atmosphere and and kind of the relaxed vibe. It must have been just a kind of a relaxed mood. And he's just kind of like, okay, I can kind of go into a daze and, and just kind of, you know, run off a little bit here. And yeah, like it's just stuff that you didn't see from him at the time. So it's unique and it kind of shows like what kind of mood he was going through. Give and Fly, Even Flow in the middle here. Once again, Give and Fly, just like in my tree, you're getting the tribal vibes from it. Jack is really going off. And this is just, it it takes you back because it reminds me of, like we mentioned before, Give Way, the Melbourne show, and how he played Give and a Fly on that. And I believe for a long time, that was the earliest, earliest version I knew of Give and a Fly and just being blown away. And it, it's amazing that essentially he played it as many times as they were in australia and and hawaii like it had to have been under 15 you would think but boy this is something for the ages this is something for the history books because you don't get this vibe ever with matt but i mean jack is just really putting something completely extra into it that doesn't even sound like what he does on the record either him on the the intro especially uh, and like that going into the first person chorus is just like again just listening like my god i haven't heard it like this in so long completely different and you know i love the way that jack plays it even at the ending i think it it soars like like given to fly should soar like live like you can tell that it would have become something really special it got really intense and aggressive at the end there too like i mean ed's vocals and screaming but it's it's not just ed it's everybody it's everybody just kind of picking up the pace and really putting the distortion in full force it was extra good you know not to say that cameron versions in 1998 didn't sound like this but i don't think you can ever 
recapture this kind of magic would give in the fly. No offense to anybody else, but it's impossible to get this back. Even flow, okay, this is the other time where I, I think I know what this phrase is because he introduces this song as called Mola Bunda. My <laughs> research on this, I found that Mola Mola means sunfish and Bunda means ass. At least one of those is right. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, sunfish ass. Sunfish ass. If anybody, if anybody was wondering, hashtag sunfish ass if you want to get that trending or something like that. What'd you have on Even Flow? Because the solo was pretty interesting here, too. Well, it's the first 10 song. Again, like going back to the, to the early days. But one thing I, I noticed from Karen's review that I don't think I'd ever really even thought about before. But in this era, you know, it's during the solo, like Stone drops out, like Stone's not playing guitar. Evidently, Stone is playing bongos during during the oh, even yeah. flow. I did read solo. that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we have—I don't think we've ever talked about that before, or I've no. never even thought about it. But I think that is very interesting. And again, you talked at the beginning; you didn't even you just foreshadow like, "Oh yeah, Stone can do everything." Yes, he can play bongos on even flow and like. I was listening for it and I think you can hear it a little bit. Like with Jack, it sounds really cool. to go back and check if that yeah. became like a recurring theme because i mean those australian shows i have not been through half of them so right. i wonder if that was a thing that he had done at that point but yeah very very interesting all right well after that stone on bongos now you're getting into daughter with the noise of carpet tag and then you're going to go into mfc luke and immortality which is all a pretty good section right there but Karen had mentioned in that same review that Noise of Carpet was the hallmark of the 1996 tour. And it feels like recently in our Discord, we've brought it up a lot because people, I guess, are just reminiscing on it. I, I don't remember where the conversation stemmed from, but it's been talked about in the last week or two. We've talked about it a lot, and this is kind of one of the tags that I didn't know the song initially. But anytime I hear the tag, I can recognize it. I can sing along with it now. So this is kind of firmly planted in my head after a couple times of hearing it and, and really digging in. 
Yeah, I love noise and carpet, and I love that it's one of the more off-the-wall things like Stereo Lab doesn't sound anything like Pearl Jam. It's something completely out of left field that they would pull out. And I love how it fits in with Daughter and how he just kind of like, just kind of goes into it and does the thing, doesn't try to sound like Stereo Lab, just goes for it. And yeah, I, I love Noise of Carpet. this under things that we've never done on this podcast before because we're in the middle of the set the middle of the show and usually around this point you're like okay we're coming close to the encore and yeah like it's gonna be about 90 minutes and the the whole normal thing but right in the middle of the show we found out that somebody on twitter his name is trent went to the show so he said on a whim all right since we didn't have our guest that we were supposed to have why don't we ask Trent to come on the show and talk about the show? Because he was at both nights this. So mid-set interview right here. And <laughs> let's, yeah, Trent, what's going on? This is very unique for the show. No, this is, no, this is cool. No, I'm, I'm happy. Like it was a few just days of just really chill, relaxed vibes. And, you know, in Maui, cause there's only, um, I think it was maybe 4,000, maybe 5,000 people each night. And there was tons of space. And it was, you know, getting to hear a whole bunch of new songs because this was right at the beginning of the Yield Tour. You know, so there was just a lot to be excited about. But at the same time, it wasn't massively chaotic. It wasn't drop in the park or at the gorge when you've got people falling down the cliffs trying to jump into the mosh pit. I mean, it was just actually nice, oddly enough, and very relaxed, but yet they still rocked. So it was great. So were you in Hawaii? So like, where, where, where were you living at the time? Like, was this a no, destination or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still live in the Seattle area and, and a buddy of mine who had probably joined the fan club, maybe 96 or something, maybe 90, yeah, 95 or 96. We just decided, you know, we we're in our early twenties at the time. And we're like, you know what, what would be cool is to see Pearl Jam on, you know, on a kind of a destination thing, like when they're going and then they announced that they were going to do Maui was like okay that's perfect so let's do it and we got the tickets through the fan club and booked our flight and you know no families at the time you know no no you know we weren't married or had kids or anything so it was super easy to just pop over and i think we probably spent four or five days there and then bumping into a whole bunch of other massive pearl jam so it was amazing yeah that was actually going to be my next question was it like 
kind of like in the way that you would go to a Wrigley or a Safeco now where the weekend is the big event. And I, I know Hawaii is going to have so many visitors and so many people there, but did it, it felt like that the town was kind of taken over by Pearl Jam? Yo, absolutely. And, you know, and I believe that, if, I mean, it's been a while, but I want to say the amphitheater was in Kahului or still is in Kahului. And it's just a tiny little town on Maui, just like every town is on Maui. So all the hotel, you know, they filled up with Pearl Jam fans. But that was my first time experiencing that. Like I went to one of the Wrigley show or a couple of the Wrigley shows and uh, traveled a couple other places to see the band. And I was actually unaware that they had this or were developing this traveling fan base. Like it just didn't. You know, we just, you know, we're just young and naive and we're like, oh, wait, you mean so there's other people that will fly from all over the world to come see a band on an island? And the answer was yes. <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah. what would be like from maybe a ratio here from local Hawaiians that were at this show to people like yourself that were there for a destination uh, show? Well, I mean, a, a lot of people flew over from Oahu. So by local Hawaiians, you know, it's a lot of those folks that probably were living on the island for a year or two just checking out what the hawaiian life was like versus you know the authentic hawaiians who also were at the show as well but i would say yeah at least at least two-thirds of the people there seem to be traveling from off island i would say whether it's california or washington state or you know we had people there that we met that flew up from australia and you know i was like okay cool man that's great you know there's people from everywhere that's very cool. That's awesome. It was un- unforgettable. And like I said, just a different, different vibe. I mean, they still rocked and it was still kind of the aggressive band. But at the same time, it was just like tempered down a tad and just a little bit more low key. I just think it's, it's that Hawaiian flavor of just, you know, let's just go with it and see how things, you know, take off for a little bit as opposed to like just a massive mosh pit party like the first or the second time i saw the band was at the mercer arena in seattle in 93 and it was like you know it was basically a slam dance concert uh and this was kind of the opposite of that so we're, we're talking about night two here what do you uh-huh. remember about the the second night specifically anything stick out to you or being different from the first night well the band was better <laughs> You know, I know they were debuting new songs all weekend and they were probably, maybe they had first night jitters or something, but I just remember the first night was well, like maybe a few mistakes and just uh, maybe Eddie, I don't know, I can't remember, Ed might've been chatting it up just a little bit more. And the second night was more like they seemed ready to just put on a show and I don't want to, I mean, professional is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like they just, they seemed on and they kind of got their groove back after the first night jitters kind of wore off. So it was kind of like they were playing as if they were on vacation. And then the <laughs> yeah. next night they were playing as if this was a vacation, if that makes yeah, any and, sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. But And also just keep in mind that, that we were uh, so stoked to be there and you know, I can, I could barely remember just having the discussions later in the evening after the first show. It's like, Hey, they were just, you know, they were great. They were amazing, but you know, they were a little sloppy too. Not that we gave a shit. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was cool. It was fun no matter what, but the second night was definitely from a music standpoint, far better for sure. 
What about the impact of, of Jack Irons? Because we've talked about Jack Irons this whole episode so far, but some of these songs like In My Tree and Given a Fly, and I don't know how often you've gone back to the bootleg of this, but what was your take of like listening to Jack? And this is kind of, you know, this little, this month here of February and, and March of 98 is his only shot with the Yield song. So right. thinking, thinking back at all that, like, you know, what was your take after the show? So at the time, I just remember thinking, this is great because, you know, we were getting to hear the No Code songs again. I'd only seen them once since No Code came out. And, you know, and so I, I didn't, of course, like most people have any clue that Jack wouldn't be with the band much longer. So we just kind of like sort of those, uh, the songs with a little bit more of a tribal rhythm, a little bit more of a percussion. Um, but we didn't think anything of it at the time, like, oh, we should treasure this. But to your point about the bootleg, yes, I've gone back and listened to both nights. And it's just it's just cool to hear that that different flavor, you know, the different uh, vibe that he brought the band for a few years. And um, I wish I would have appreciated it more at the time, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And and you're right. Like we can't go back to that moment in time and say, well, this is only going to be another month and then we're not going to get shows like this anymore. So yeah, no, totally understandable. What would you say would be some of the songs that you took away from this night being blown away by? So I have to be honest, I, I was, uh, to get in touch with you guys, I did not even um, double check the set list. And so I might give you a, a night one or two song. I don't remember it exactly off the top of my we'll head. keep you in check. It's all good. But, okay. <laughs> Thank you. I do remember one of the nights, again, not sure, uh, the first time hearing Faithful really blew me away. That just was like, oh, cool. Here's an, uh, you know, an epic anthem. I don't want to say it was like a 10 anthem, but definitely different than anything that was on No Code for sure. And then the other one that stood out, this is not a surprise probably to anybody, but I just thought Do the Evolution was one of the coolest things I've heard in my life. <laughs> so um, all the Yield songs, you were impressed by all the New oh, Yield yeah. songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, because cool. I mean, that's, yeah, that and then a couple of the No Code songs. I think the second night they played Smile. Apologies if that's not right, but. That's actually uh, the first night. Okay, first night. Okay, so Smile was fantastic the first night. And then, oh God, there's another one on there. Um, I think they played Present Tense one of the two nights, but if they didn't, it was some other kind of mellow, no code song. But again, we're talking. And the they played night two. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So it was just great. I was honestly, it was more for us anyway, my buddy and I, it was all about hearing the no code and the yield stuff just because the other songs, and they're great, they're amazing. But if I don't happen to hear Even Flow or Dare Me, you know, the rest of my life, I'm cool with that. Not that they're bad, but I just sort of liked hearing the, the songs that I hadn't already heard a million times. Speaking of Even Flow, we just talked about it on the show. Do you remember anything about Stone playing bongos on Even Flow? <laughs> I, did, I do not. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. I do remember that. I mean, there was actually, it's kind of funny. There was more of a hawaiian style but there was kind of a mosh pit like this is still before mosh pits kind of disappeared from pearl jam shows and so up front was still pretty chaotic and i believe it was during even flow that things got pretty messy and we were pretty close and so i would have no idea what stone was doing okay. but if he was playing bongos that's awesome <laughs> were you privy to any of the neil young rumors that were spreading throughout those days yeah oh yeah of course i mean but you know, we're always we're always used to it, especially, you know, back in the day in the Seattle area. It's, oh, you know, hey, you know, I think Chris is going to come out. Somebody said my buddy saw Chris down at blah, 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 and they're going to, you know, come out and do it. But if I remember correctly, I think Neil was on the island. Does that sound 
He right? was like side he was stage dead. for this yeah. show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that was one that I think, you know, people were, were legitimately like, Hey, I think Neil's actually here. And we're right about that. And so that stuff was flying the whole time. It was, Hey, we're going to hear some stuff off of mirror ball, or maybe Neil's going to come out and do some stuff, you know, off of, Oh, what's the, the, uh, Oh, sorry. Merkin ball is what I meant for. I got it. But then, you know, that Neil was going to come do the mirror ball stuff. Obviously that didn't happen, but yeah, he was there. So that's, that's amazing. Well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. And we seriously thank you for, you know, off the fly, yeah. just, just coming in and giving us this insight that is incredible. And again, 5,000 people have this insight, but it's so hard to, to, to find them. And it's kind of like what we'll go through next week with uh, some of the J- Japan shows from 2003, really tough to find people there too. But my last question is this, and yep. you don't have to have an answer. Do you know what Uwa Nuka Nuka Upa Wupa Ka means? I just have no idea. I'm assuming it's something to do with the water, the waves. Uh, I don't know. Drinking too much wine. I have no idea. But uh, is it something that Eddie said or what does it mean? Oh, yeah. He says it like a thousand times throughout the show. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah again, a long time ago, I got to go listen to Bootleg again and kind of refresh <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it was like there was i will say they did have a nice little um which was unusual actually for pearl jam shows up until that point i had not been able to get a, a beer or a wine at a show at uh key arena or at uh god what was the other place uh one of the oh they at mercerina um they weren't serving at a bunch of them and so i just remember being able to put back you know a couple wines at a time uh and so my memory is a little hazy because they definitely had a lot of wine Sure. 25 years later. And yeah, yeah. all that wine is, <laughs> has, has killed the, the brain cells for sure. Yes. Just a little bit. Yeah. A sincere thank you for oh, jumping yeah. on and sharing It's a treasure. And the next time that we have a unique show, I'm just going to direct message you and ask if you were there. Cause we can do the same thing. Maybe. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. This is a great, it's kind of a trip down memory lane for me. And but yeah, when I get home, I'm putting on the boot. So I appreciate it. Great. Thanks so Thank much, you. man. Thank you, yeah. yeah, have a good night, you guys. You too. Well, that was something completely out of left field. And I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did, because cool. that was, yeah. Anytime. You never know. You never know. And and look, we'll we'll be open to this more often, I guess, because this is just such a... A, a unique and, and fun thing. So if you find out that we're covering a show in the middle of us recording it and you want to join us, then we'll be welcome to have you in the middle of a set just like this. But hey, there's there's first for everything, right? Now, where were we? We were finishing up Daughter and then the combination of MFC Luke and Immortality. MFC is your last Yield song of the night. And it was debuted on the first night, just like Faithful. And I also completely love this version.
time that you hear MFC, like the first thing I'm thinking about is, is it going to have that atmospheric sound to it? Is, is it going to soar? Is it going to build and is it going to drive? It's got all of it. It's the second performance and it's exactly like I like this song. Without one thing, without the gnawing. No, but, yeah, no motorcycle noises here. Yeah. No, 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 none of that. But every little bit from Stone's kind of complimentary solos that fit in and all of Jack's like double time chorus and the extension at the end, just wonderful. I love this. Yeah, another one where I thought Stone was, was definitely the standout. This is a great Stone show. But yeah, I think MFC is, I believe this is this is outdoors, an amphitheater. Yeah, in Hawaii, like, yeah, the, the perfect spot to hear the first versions of MFC. Yeah, it seems like it fits perfectly here. This is absolutely fitting. And then from here on out, you know, going in right into Lucan with Ed, just barely even trying to sing the, the lyrics. Yeah, Lucan is, right, unintelligible, fine. It's going to get you into immortality. And just like how we've been on some weird runs lately, we've been on the run of, like, you know, corduroy and grievance being back to back in shows, which obviously can't happen here. We've been on the run of like we did the last three weeks in a row where it's been early tour, getting the sort of first few versions of what songs would become. And also we have gotten versions of immortality this year that have ha- had some botches. And yeah, this is the yeah. third one that we've run into that that's been botched a little bit here. Yeah, it has a little bit of an awkward start, I think, and then it gets a little iffy in the in the first part. But then they do pick it up. The ending does get to that part where you want it, where you're like, "Oh my God, here's the immortality jam with Jack, the sound that that I've been waiting for." It sounded more like mentioned Neil Young was there. If he was going to come out, this felt like them doing a Neil Young version of Immortality. Interesting. I think I said that about another song, but I also think it was I Got Shit, so that doesn't really count. But one thing I thought I noticed at the end, like the octopus arms are out and Jack is making a show of it, but it sounded like he lost a stick at the end. And because the the way that you got like the Tom and snare hits that just snap hits, they went away like almost immediately and then you just got symbols at the end there and i'm wondering if he lost a stick and that's why he Mm. kind of had to readjust on the fly could be Okay, ending the main set is going to be a live. 
was a little sloppy. I thought it was a little sloppy. Ed just kind of checked out a little bit in this. And we've talked about the mid-90s versions before being like, okay, we got to play it. So, all right, if we do it, we do it. And then it just kind of, I thought Ed treated it as just being another version of that song, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like as close as you get to like Pearl Jam karaokeing themselves maybe a little bit. But there was a, a guitar tone on this, and I'm hoping we are going to hear from Javier at some point on this. But Stone has a, I think it's Stone has a, there's a tone on a live that almost sounds like a metallic kind of twangy, almost like a country-ish kind of tone to it. I'm really curious to find out what that was, but that really stuck out to me on a live. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like not a standout, like classic version of a live here. Well, asking you shall receive because you wanted Javier's take on this to find out what kind of country twang sort of sound was coming out of Stone's guitar, and we're happily obliging. So let's hear the song and then let's hear what Javier has to say about it. favorite part of the show i don't think i've ever heard a stone using the reverb coming from his own amp in a part for alive and you can hear it here right before the final chorus before the solo you can hear stone using a reverb coming from the amp just to add a little bit more depth to the part that he's playing maybe he was experimenting with it maybe he felt that it was the right fill for the song for that time i don't know but it's a pretty cool thing that i personally i've never heard like before once again great stuff this week thank you so much javier and we're looking forward to having you back next week when we talk about sendai japan 2003 we'll see you there all right let's pause for station identification since we're at the encore we only got a few more songs left but a couple people to thank on patreon now, John, I might need your help with one of the names, but I, here's the one that I don't need your help with. A thank you to Kevin Miller for joining. He joined up on the bonus leg tier, and he had messaged me, I think, about Bonner Springs earlier this week and just noticed that he had just joined up. So thank you so much, Kevin, for joining. And now we have a gigaleg patron. His name is Doug, but there's a lot of Zs and Ys and Ks and Ws. I'm going to say Zwansik. That's pretty good. The silent D? Yeah. Yeah. Zwansik. All right. Well, thank you to Doug Zwansik for joining up on the Giggle Egg tier. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash live on four legs. And right now, what is going to go into supporting what we're 
doing and supporting kind of some of our, our goals for this year is that we talked about record store day before, and I kind of mentioned it last week that I had a little bit of a plan to wanting to go out to Mopop to go see the exhibit for the last couple months that it would be in intact. And, you know, got a message from good friend Dukes has been on the show a couple times. got a message from him saying, Hey, because record store day got announced because giveaway got announced and the Rockford's album got announced. The Rockford's are playing in store at easy street, the day of record store day. And he just said, why don't we just circulate it around that? Like, all right, let's see what the flights are. It's looking pretty good. It's looking like I can make the time work. And I'll be heading over to Seattle Friday night, Saturday night, leaving on a Saturday red eye. And the hope is to do like another documentary type thing about 30 hours in Seattle, something like that. So, you know, just other things for the YouTube channel, other things to kind of give you guys a glimpse of what's going on in Pearl Jam World when Pearl Jam World isn't necessarily getting shows and things like that. And since it's Seattle, there should be a lot of like the hardcore hometown people there. And I'm really getting excited about this and thinking about this makes me a little excited and anxious because I just want it to come tomorrow, but also excited because you get to see the exhibit and hopefully get to meet new people that we've never touched base with before and ever met before. So excited to do all that. And uh, some of what is donated to Patreon in the next month or two will help provide some of the funding for going out to Seattle for this. So again, if you want to join up, if you want to help out, you get the exclusive content. The hallucinogenic recipe podcast is back. Believe it or not, it's been about a year since they've done something. So I kind of nudged them and said, you guys got to go. And, and they went. So they just put out an episode about well, hallucinogenic recipe, the box set. So that was released to our Patreon as a first listen on Monday. If you guys are interested in checking that out, I mean, it's fantastic stuff. It's stuff that you can't replicate anywhere else. And that will also be on the main platform at some point in the future. But for right now, it is a Patreon exclusive. Also, other things to look out for is the Saturday Night Live 2006 episode that'll be out pretty soon, as well as hoping for Love Boat Captain Evolution by the end of the month, somewhere around there. So those are things that you can look forward to if you're interested in the content. If you're interested in the support, we really thank you for that. And everything goes for doing more in the future and helping out this podcast a little bit more. John, what do you got to add? Live on fourlegs.com. Keep checking it, bookmark it. Great stuff there. Just be on the lookout. So, uh, you know, more things coming this year. And, like, I'm jealous that you get to go to Seattle. That's going to be great. Hopefully, you know, by April, we'll know kind of what Pearl Jam's plans are for the year, maybe a little bit more. So, it'll be a lot to talk about. Yep, hopefully. And also, um, feel free, join our Discord. And if you're interested, if, you, if you've if you joined Discord before, if, you, if you're on it, what we've been doing lately, if you remember the last couple of years, we did a February album a day challenge. We kind of skipped that this year. It's a little complicated. So we did what was called an unskippable playlist challenge. 
and you're picking a couple of songs that you really like, everybody that's involved in it picks a couple of their songs. We kind of put it together and see what kind of common picks that we all really like in these songs. And we make like an ultimate set list out of that. So if you want to join, we will drop down a link to our discord in the description of our episode, wherever you listen to the podcast on Spotify or Apple, wherever there'll be a link right there where you'll be able to join on up. All right, back to the rock. Now we're going to start the encore with I got shit. But before that, Ed says something in Hawaiian again, and I think it's the same thing. Ooh, nuka nuka, apa wapa. And again, it could be Greek to us. He says, it's been a nice week. Nice place you got here. No shit, huh? But we saw Mel Torme or Jerry Lewis say that they told the audience that he'd want to take them home with him. But wouldn't it be easier if you just moved there? That's what I'm thinking. Mm. And that gets you into I Got Shit, which, you know, with all the Neil rumors and Neil being there, I think a lot of people might have thought, hmm, okay, this is a Market Ball song. You might be joining them for this. But nope, didn't happen. But this version, I think you mentioned it before, with uh, immortality that you thought yeah. that this was a very Neil. Ver- I thought that, yeah, I got shit. I thought was a very Neilish version. And I mean, that's not really going peaks and valleys to, to say that, but it's essentially a Neil song. If you, if you kind of break it down, but yeah, it had that kind of like stomp rock vibe to it. I love this to open up an encore too. Like such a good way to say he comes out. I think right before he says, "Oh, I just wanted to say," and like that's usually how he would introduce porch. Like I just want to say one, two, three, four. But instead, you get I got shit here, and yeah, I think this is fantastic placement again. But I love hearing Jack on this too at the end. Just fantastic. And then going back to Ed's speech, it's like he's foreshadowing. Like now we know that he does have a house in Hawaii and like does live there part of the time. So maybe these shows had something to do with that. But yeah, I think I Got Shit is the highlight of this encore. Yeah, the encore is kind of short. None of these songs really fit in with each other yeah it's a little haphazard like state of love and trust to close we'll get to that in a little bit but yeah it's different but also you know we welcome different and especially for a show like this where there's only five thousand people i guess it can be but also felt like they didn't know quite how to end it but better man is going to follow up on i got shit it's kind of doing some like harmony thing before the save it for later tag And it reminded me of, weirdly enough, the 90s pop rock song uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't know where that came from, but it kind of had that vibe like, it had some of that. It was definitely more like, I think, sing-songy than a lot of versions that were come to know it's you know it wasn't the anthem that the song has become and again just like do the evolution to start it's so slow compared to the way they play it now but yeah you're getting an early version of save it for later so that's cool before getting into this next one the rare one of the night maybe one of the rarest ones that you can find especially as far as studio albums go He says, this is not one we normally play. Maybe we played it once in front of people, but it goes well with everything. The sky, you guys, everything. 
This is the fourth appearance of this song. It's only been played ten more times, ladies and gentlemen. And this would be the last time until Ben Arroyo in 2003. So, around the bend. couple of times where they did around the bed in 1996 those three times at least two of those closed shows i have a feeling they did one at the bridge school that maybe didn't but was it barcelona and the showbox show i think both of those versions closed yeah so this is pretty close to it now it's it's a really nice song and i think you have to kind of go back to the origin that ed told at moline uh, where he said it was kind of a lullaby written to Jack's son, but also in a way somewhere down the, the line in the songwriting, it became about a serial killer singing to their victim as they're about to die. So this song is just so interesting in that aspect. It like kind of has a weird dark take on it, but it's such a, a light song and kind of almost feels in a way since they are on the beach and is why it kind of feels like a beachy kind of song in a way like has that so especially like in the solo and stuff like that you can see this being played in a cabana or something you know yeah it kind of has a little bit of a like a lilt to it i was listening you know to hear because i was curious to hear you know kind of what jack was going to do with this because it's kind of a singular version you know like said they wouldn't do it again until late in 2003 but I thought it was just, it was very kind of laid back and very reserved. You know, we, we heard from Trent, you know, kind of echoed what we thought the vibe was at the beginning, like very relaxed. There's a lot of space there, like just kind of chilled out. So makes sense that they would throw something like this in there. But yeah, I thought it was just kind of like kind of lilting and nice. And I kept waiting for like the, you know, you know, what's going to be the, the twist on this song? Like what's going to be the angle? But it didn't really have one. It was just kind of like the skip through this and sounded great but it didn't really have an edge to it it just kind of like ed said like it just kind of goes well with everything it just kind of fits here it is absolutely criminal that again it's only been played what 10 times since this you know a couple of times in 2018 which made you think like okay maybe it's gonna make a comeback but hasn't yet so be interesting to see i'd love to hear it someday yeah this encore kind of has a breakfast club vibe to it where there's no real similarities between these songs and 
You'd think if maybe they did State of Love and Trust before Around the Bend and then close with Around the Bend that that would be kind of fitting, but it just kind of almost feels like we don't really know how to close this one. So here's something that was on the set list. And, and apparently these shows had really quick curfews. Like I think it was like a 10 o'clock curfew. So we're seeing 21 songs in this set. And it was about an hour 35, yeah, I believe. Man. So it, it's really, I know we spent a lot of time talking about it, but it's really not much at all. So I'm wondering if, you know, some of the choices at the end, they were just kind of like, all right, state's it. And that's how they ended it. And this has only been closed with four times, and this is the last to date and probably the last of all time. A couple times in 91, one time in 93. And yeah, it kind of felt like they were just ready to say goodbye and it was just kind of like, fuck it. They got in fuck it mode. And Ed definitely was just all over the place on this and kind of seemed like he was just more basking it in than like trying to send him home on something big and ed gets all messed up in it like there's another kind of lyric flub he kind of like loses this place for a minute but the ending i thought again fitting for being the, the last song i thought the ending was really really great i hadn't heard uh, a state of love and trust end like this and he does change the thing to like you know with each other's help so i thought it, it picked up and it ended up being pretty good i thought the ending made it worthwhile but yeah not something you're probably ever going to hear again all that being said and all of the changes that we've had to make during the show and questions of the week on the fly and interviews on the fly now we uh get the opportunity to pick three songs that we really liked from the show i'm going first and spoiler alert it's a trio of yield songs here i couldn't help myself on this mm. number three is going to be mfc Number two is going to be given to fly. Number one is going to be faithful. That's right. I didn't put Brandon J in this. Faithful's the number one. Mm, wow. I will go Brandon J, number three. I'm going to go Corduroy, number two, and in my tree, number one. Totally different three right here, just like we had last week. So that kind of begs the question as to what kind of rating this show gets. I like this show. I like this show. I think it has a an interesting, a unique vibe to it. Of course, the location has something to do with it. Of course, the capacity has something to do with it. And honestly, the length has something to do with it, too, that it kind of felt like they needed to get in all of their stuff in this 90-minute window, and, and they made it work. I Yeah, I liked all the performances. I liked all the yield stuff. I liked the corduroy. I liked immortality. I'm going to say a nine on this. I'm going to give this really? a nine. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought this was a really good show. I, I, I think it's like kind of important because it's one of the first Yield Tour shows. So yeah, I'm going to nine. Again, I'm we're a little bit off this week. I'm not there. I mean, I don't think this gets to that level. I think there's not enough moments in it. And I don't know whether it's the crowd or was like there's some awkwardness in it. But I did think it was very good. I love like anything full of yield and no code. Like I'm I'm all in. But I think this is a solid like seven and a half. Well, I'm not gonna say that this is a top twenty five show of all time, but our differences are where our differences are and we've had a lot of them this year. Like we're two months in essentially and and no perfect score at all. Yeah. Not even yeah. not even close to one. So, all right, there you have that. Now, 
we start to get interesting here because next week we are going back to Riot Act. And I kind of mentioned it at some point, maybe in Trent's interview or something like that, where we are going into Japan. We've only done a Japan show once. We did Nagoya a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And now because it's sort of the anniversary date of being back there, we decided we want to check out the Sendai show because the Sendai show has a really cool set list. It has some interesting things going on. And it's always interesting to go back to the Japanese crowd and what they were doing then and kind of what the vibe was. You know, it's so different. And I think it's just going to be, it's going to be an interesting conversation. And we had reached out to somebody that we know that went to these shows and we haven't heard back yet, but if you happen to go, you happen to know anybody that went, please feel free live on four legs podcast at gmail.com. Send us an email and let's set something up. Even if it has to be in the middle of the show, we will get somebody on for this one. Especially like these, this show and, and the next show, I feel like you don't hear a lot of people that went to these. And honestly, between now and, and and from when I put the question of the week on Twitter, I think we've had at least one other person say that they were there. So, yeah, I mean, hey, we could have had like a whole like, you know, panel okay. on roundtable. Yeah, but round table um, discussion. But no, I, I love those Japan shows. They're so unique in their history and it's going to be really cool to talk about. I'm excited. You're excited. You should be excited too, because it might be something that you've never heard before, or might've been something that you've heard a thousand times before. And that's just as awesome. So thank you everybody for listening in. This was a very haphazard show and I love it. This is kind of producing on the fly. This reminds me of, you know, being in the chair for working for, for TV and something happening, breaking news and stuff like that. And you have to kind of call up and, and get some, somebody on the phone to talk about it. And, you know, then you get a good guest or something like that. It it had that same kind of vibe to it. So we're just producing news, I suppose, but thank you everybody for listening in. And if you want to support the show, all you got to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts, head on over to Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the podcast, because it's all different places. We're all around. It's on every popular platform. All you got to do is make sure you give it a five-star rating. And then on Apple, if you could, it would be very, very helpful if you can send us a comment on there and just let us know, let the next person that wants to listen to the show that might need a recommendation know what you think of us and what you think of some of the memories that we brought back for you from some of the shows that we've covered that you went to and on and on and on and forward. And hopefully that will push forward and, and get more people interested and get more people tuning in and reliving some of those memories because that's really important to us that people get that. And we are still on the goal for get to 100 ratings by the end of 2023. So I think we'll come close, but it's up to you guys. I can't vote more than once. Can't do that. But you can at least vote once, and you can vote once, and you can vote once, and you can vote once. And all of a sudden, then we're there. So that's all I got for that. This was a fun one. But this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Okay. Now, I guess we just got to take a boat up the Pacific and head to Japan right off the coast. So why don't we 
prepare for that. And next week, that's exactly what you're going to get. Sendai 2003. If we don't see you then, I'll make sure we see you then. We'll see you then. Oh, it's due.